0: Uh, The rest of us here this morning, we're going to be in the book of Genesis this morning. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be at. And so let me encourage you to open up your uh, copy of God's Word there. I trust you've brought a copy, and uh, if not, you can find it on your phone or whatever. And uh, we need to be uh, people who are committed to the Word of God and students of God's Word. And so let me encourage you to always uh, have uh, the Scriptures with you. Let me ask a, a question this morning. What is your response, your default response... Uh, your go-to response when your faith is tested. Uh, Maybe this morning your test is a trial, that prolonged period of adversity or a difficult time where you find yourself thinking this morning, I'm not sure how much more I can take of this. Maybe your test is a temptation where you're in the heat of the battle. What will you do? That test, that temptation may be something as small as being honest on a report to your supervisor at work. Maybe the temptation is that battle that you find raging in your heart, enticing you to throw everything away that you have believed and worked so hard for. Maybe your test this morning is believing that Christ truly can and has forgiven you. Maybe your faith this morning is being tested as your world has been rocked, Uh, the doctor's report, the cutbacks at work, uh, the financial strain, uh, the news that you have learned that you would never have thought you would ever hear or experience, how do you respond in times of testing? That's what we're going to consider this morning as we look at the second half of Genesis chapter 12. Last week, we left Abram, who would later be called Abraham by God. We left Abram in a place called Bethel, building an altar and proclaiming the name of God. Last week, we left the service in, in, in verse 9, and we were, uh, we were like cheering on for Abram. say, saying, yay, Abraham, go, Abraham. And this morning, when we come to the text that we're going to look at, we're going to find Abram Abram, Abram, leaving, going to Egypt, and Egypt. There's going to be no altar built. The name of God will not be proclaimed there, and we will find ourselves not cheering but groaning, and we will say "Woe, Abraham, Abram." And yet, if we were to be honest with ourselves this morning, and we would take a prolonged look at our own lives, I think we would be able to identify ourselves, put ourselves into the story of Abram, and our response will not be "Woe, Abram," but "Woe, me." Why is this? Because the strength of our faith will be measured not in the sunshine, but the strength of our faith will be measured in the storms, the storms of life. And so I want us to consider this morning what the Word of God has to say about the testing of our faith, the faltering of our faith. What happens when our faith falters? When Carter and I were in Yellowstone a couple weeks ago, we were hiking up on a trail and I came across this boulder there. Uh, I think we came across a boulder. Maybe not. All right, just imagine in your mind that there's a boulder. There we go, here we go. There's a boulder, and I found it interesting there that this boulder, this huge rock, this thousand, I don't know how many thousands of pounds this rock was. On top of this rock is this little tree growing on top, maybe get the next shot. There we go, we got the the, the tree there growing on top of the the rock there. I can't be for certain, but I'm pretty sure that's about as big as that tree is going to get. And the reason for that, there's just no place for those roots to go. The soil is shallow, the, underneath the soil is this rock. As I thought about that rock, I was thinking about the passage this morning. I think the rock illustrates our faith principle for today, and here's the faith principle. The faith principle is this, faith grows, faith must grow in the soil of testing. And so if our faith is to grow deep, and if our faith is to go strong, the Lord will inevitably bring testing into our lives so that our faith might grow. This seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? We would much rather shelter ourselves. We would much rather shelter our faith. But that's not the way it is with God or His kingdom. It is through testing that our faith grows. This is what James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, where James wrote, I don't think I have the words on the sh- screen here, but here's the, what the Scriptures say. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so the scripture says that it is through the trials and the testing of our lives that our faith grows, and when our faith grows, it results in endurance leading to maturity. The completion in Christ. Genesis chapter 12 is going to be our text. We're going to read from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. What happens when our faith falters in times of testing? That's the question I want us to consider today. What happens when our faith falters in times of testing? Beginning with verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For with the famine... For the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, You are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that that the woman was very beautiful. And When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he, dealt, he, Pharaoh, dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And so Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say to me she is your sister, she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife, take her, go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And so what happens when our faith falters? This morning we want to consider three movements in this text, this passage today. First we're going to see faith being tested, then we're going to see what happens when faith falters, why faith falters, and then we're going to look at faithfulness being demonstrated. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's begin with this this first consideration, faith being tested. We see this in verse 10. The Bible says, now there was a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So obviously, the famine here, mentioned twice in the opening verses, the precipitating cause. It's what motivated Abram to take action. I want us to think for a few moments about famine. What does famine represent? What does it look like in life? Obviously, a shortage of food, right? There's, There's a lack of supply. It represents need. The Bible tells us something about this famine. It says that the famine was severe in all of the land. Right, And so there we learn something about the severity of this famine, its intensity, its duration, and its breadth. Intensity, there was no food anywhere. Resources were driving, drying up, and survival became essential. And so Abraham began to take a look. He surveyed the land, said this is what we need to do. We see the severity of the famine and its duration. There was no end in sight. If it would have been look, a month or two, we can make it. But the Bible doesn't tell us, doesn't tell us how long Abram had been in the land before the famine came. We just know that God had led Abram to this land. We saw that last Sunday. And there, there was a famine. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, how long the famine was going to last. But it's easy for us to imagine that this was going on for some time. And it's breadth. The famine spread across the land that God had promised to show Abram and give to him. And so in Abram's mind, relief was to be found outside of what God had promised to provide. Relief was to be found outside of what God had promised to provide. And so for Abram, Egypt, Abram looked to Egypt for relief. What do you do when you find yourself in a difficult strait? What do you do when the pressure is on? Where do you turn when you think I need this to survive? Famine has to do with much more than food, does it not? Famine has to do with what we need to survive. Famine addresses our desire for satisfaction. So we think of survival and satisfaction. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this statement down. That faith is regularly followed by famine in the land. Faith is regularly followed by famine in the land. Famine is is severe trial. This is God's way. That God will bring famine into our lives to test our faith. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is when our faith is tested, how will our faith fare in that time of testing? How will our faith fare in that time of testing? And so consider with me the second movement in this passage, and that is Abram's faith faltering. In verses 11 through 16, we see Abram's response to the test of his faith, to the famine that had come in the land. And what I want us to do this morning is I want to focus on the two actions that Abram took. I want to focus on the two actions. And I want us then to consider the motivation behind those two actions and what are the lessons, the insights for our lives because I think this is where we find ourselves in the life of Abram's story. The first action that Abraham took is what I call Abram's impulsivity. Abram's impulsivity. Uh, At first, uh, we see that in verse 11, At the end of verse 10, the uh, middle of verse 10, Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn to live there because the famine was severe. At first, this might not seem like a bad option. Uh, There's famine in the place where God had taken him, but there's food in Egypt. If there's no food here, why not go where the food is? And so we would think that maybe Abram was doing the wise thing, the necessary thing. Except for the fact that this was not the place where God had told Abram to go. Last week when we looked at the first part of Genesis chapter 12, it was that Abram would move when God had spoken to him. Abram moved when God had directed him. Abram moved, Abram obeyed when God had led him. And what is the surprising thing here in this verse is, verses 10 and 11, that we read nothing of God speaking to Abram. God never told Abram to go. Abram took it on his own. He acted impulsively. Now there's something significant when we think about Egypt. Why is Egypt the wrong choice for Abram? We know that in Scripture, that um, Egypt, there are times where God has directed his people to go to Egypt. We're going to see, well, if we were to study throughout the book of Genesis, we would get to Genesis chapter 46 later on next year sometime. Uh, we we'll get to Genesis chapter 46, and Jacob, uh, the grandson of Abram, was directed by the Lord to go to Egypt, and the Lord would provide for him there, uh, Genesis chapter 46, verse 3, and he said, I will make you into a great nation there. We know in the birth of Christ, at the birth of Christ, that the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, the, the um. Uh, The earthly father, not the biological father, but the earthly father of the Lord Jesus Christ and directed him to take Mary and Jesus to the land of Egypt while Herod was still alive. But throughout Scripture, Egypt typically stands, represents the world and the wrong alliance and reliance upon it. And so the message throughout Scripture is that God's people are to stay away from Egypt, stay away from, not rely on the world around them. Isaiah chapter 31 verse 1 reflects this viewpoint. I think I have that verse, yeah, I have that verse there. Uh, Isaiah chapter 31 verse 1, listen to the word of God. prophet Isaiah says this, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says this, Woe, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses Who trust in chariots because they they are many, and in horsemen and trust in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the holy one of Israel or consult the Lord. Hear what the scripture is saying. God is giving to us this warning. He says, "Woe to you if you turn to Egypt. Woe to you if you turn to something or someone other than God, and you consult them for help and you rely upon them, assuming, imagining that they can." Uh, protect you and provide for you. To go to Egypt meant that Abram would trust in human resources rather than trust in God. How like Abram are we? When trials come, we automatically go into a survival mode, do we not? We scheme, we plan, We run through the what- ifs. We shore up our position. We pile up our resources, we insulate ourselves from trouble. We're going to get through this, and we fail. To trust and to turn, rely upon the Lord to see us through. So the first action we see is that Abram's impulsivity. He went to Egypt apart from the leading, directing of the Lord. The second thing that I want us to see is Abram's ingenuity. Notice what it says in verse 11. When he was about to enter into Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, hey, when we get here, tell everyone you're my sister. Because if we do that, they'll, they'll spare my life. It'll go well with me because of you. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, why would Abram say this? Well, we're going to discover later on in, in this Abraham story in Genesis chapter 20 that uh, Sarai was Abram's half-sister right? Sarai was Abram's half-sister. And and so Abram, those who have studied ancient cultures and and ancient uh, uh, practices know that Abram uh, have identified rather that Abram was relying on an ancient custom where if there was no father in the picture, their brother would negotiate on behalf of his sister For those who would uh, seek her hand in marriage. In this way, Abram was not really putting Sarai into risk. He was in his mind saying, okay, we're going to appeal to this custom that we have. And then what it's going to do is it's going to buy me some time. Maybe the famine will end before we can complete the negotiation. And before long, we'll get back home and everything will be fine. And so on the outset, we think, well, Abram's being pretty smart. This is a genius idea. Abram probably congratulated himself. Say, hey, look at how smart I am. Look at what I've come up with. He was being responsible. He was being clever. He was helping God out. Because if something happened to him, what would happen to God's promise? And so Abram was being pretty wise. But what Abram didn't count on is Abram didn't count on Pharaoh. Isn't that just like us? We come up with a plan. We don't. We act on. We think act in our best interest. We think this is the best way to go, and then the X factor happens. What we doesn't. What we haven't counted on. What we haven't considered happens, and now what? And so the Bible tells us what happens. Right. Beautiful. Sarai. She enters, in the, enters into Egypt. Uh, they're walking around. They're telling everybody, "Hey, this is my sister," and people take note of Sarai. The word gets back to Pharaoh. And better, and the best news of all for Pharaoh is that she's not spoken for. This is a, she's Abram's uh, sister. And all of a sudden, in a whirlwind, uh, Pharaoh swoops in, snatches up Sarai, takes her home, makes him uh, part of his harem, and harem, uh, or harem, and Abram is left alone. And you can imagine the, the, the panic, the shock, the, the dismay of, of uh, Abram in that moment. His wife was gone. His well-conceived plan has crashed down. There were no good negotiations. Sarai was simply taken to be Pharaoh's wife. And worse than that, verse 16, Pharaoh dealt generously, graciously with Abram because of Sarai. And he is prospering. There is a whole list of, um, you know, the factors in that ancient world that measured wealth being listed there in verse 16. You know, if we were to Servants, houses, luxury sports cars. That's how we would write that verse in verse 16. We're happening today. Abram was getting it all, receiving it all from Pharaoh because of Sarai, who he thought was Abram's sister. And I want us to think a few moments about Abram's impulsivity and his ingenuity. Abram going to Egypt without consulting with God, tr- choosing to pass off Sarai as his sister. And I want to submit to you this morning that what was happening here in this place is that Abram was being motivated by fear and responding to fear according to the flesh. Abram was being motivated by fear and responding according to the flesh. There's two enemies to faith in the life of the believer. And it is the, it is the motivation of fear and the response of the flesh. Two enemies of faith in the life of the believer, and that is, Uh, being motivated by fear and responding according to the flesh let's take a look at these two words and say what are these two words what is fear Uh, I don't know where I came across this you've probably seen it elsewhere but fear is false evidence appearing real false evidence appearing real Abram sized up the situation listen we're gonna get to Egypt everyone thinks you're beautiful they're gonna get rid of me if they think you're my husband you're my wife and so let's just tell everyone let's appeal to our custom our culture, let's use this provision and tell everyone you're my sister and it'll go well for us. Let's take a look at the resources. Resources are drying up. We, there's a famine. We don't have enough to make it. We have to do something. We're not sure that God led us here, but we're not sure that God can care for us here. Let's go to Egypt. Fear. The flesh. Following long-established sinful habits. Following long-established sinful habits. This isn't going to be the only time that Abram uh, uh, passes Sarai off as his sister. We're going to see it again later on in in their story in Genesis chapter 20. There's going to be other times that Abram is going to act according to the flesh. I want you to think about this, how this works in our lives today. Motivated by fear, we respond According to the flesh, we follow these long-established sinful habits in our lives. When I sacrifice my integrity by practicing deception, in order to manipulate the circumstances, so things are going to work out advantageous for me, or they're going to shore up my position in life, that is the flesh at work. When I've been hurt by someone, or even worse, when I've been wronged by someone. They've lied about me. They've threatened me. They've they've done something that is the absolute worst thing you can imagine to me. And I choose to retaliate in that moment, even though I know what the Bible says. I know that the Bible says that vengeance is God and he's going to repay. But I want to make sure in that moment that they're going to get what they have coming to them. and, And it may be something as... As simple as I'm just gonna blow up, and I'm gonna yell at them. I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind. I'm gonna cuss them out. I'm gonna gossip about them. I'm gonna slander them to somebody else. I might harbor resentment against them and cut them off and, and just wall myself off from them. I'm gonna treat them as if I don't even know who they are. In marriage, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna become indifferent to the needs of Vicki, I'm gonna become passive aggressive against her. And the reason I'm doing that is I want to exercise my vengeance. I want to make sure that what you've done to me, I'm making sure that you get what you have coming to you. That's the flesh. You understand how this works? We're seeing this? <laughs> we are alive to stick our pulse here. Thank you. When I want to satisfy that inner ache, that emptiness, I don't feel them enough. My manhood is being questioned. And I binge on alcohol, turn to the internet for pornography, or run up to Winstar and spend everything I, earned this past week and hope to make it big or I'm just gonna go to the mall, I'm gonna go shopping or I'm gonna go to the car dealership and get a new vehicle or whatever and I'm motivated because I want to satisfy this emptiness on the inside. That's the flesh. The flesh will always Respond to fear apart from faith. Doctor Donald Gray Barnhouse, who that revered Presbyterian pastor and Princeton, Princeton Seminary theologian from the first part of the twentieth century, so before Princeton went liberal, commenting on this incident in the life of Abraham. Said that, like a coin that has a head and a tail, every event in life can either draw us to God or draw us away from God. If Abram had stayed in Canaan when the famine came, his faith would have grown. He would have seen the Lord providing. Since he did not stay in Canaan, the same famine that could have been a means to spiritual growth actually took him away from God, led to sin, and eventually brought humiliation. Do you see what's happening here in this situation? Abram's faith was being tested. Would he rely on God in Canaan in the midst of the famine and trust God through it? Or would he take the matters in his own hand and go to Egypt and pass his wife off as a sister and hoping that in time everything is going to work out in his favor? Faith is faltering. His faith faltered because he responded to his fear out of the flesh. And I think it's a lesson that we as the people of God need to learn even today. Instead of fearing and fretting, instead of complaining and griping, you know, why did God allow this to happen to me? It, why, why, doesn't God care? Doesn't God really know what's happening? Why, why doesn't God do something? Instead of doing, responding in that way, what if our response to the famine in our lives, what if our response was, here's another opportunity for me to trust God? I wonder what God's going to do in this situation. It's a response of faith to the tests of faith. Our faith falters when we respond to our fears according to the flesh. The third movement that I want us to consider here this morning is that faithfulness demonstrated. Faithfulness demonstrated. The hero of this story is not Abram. The hero of this story is God. God's faithfulness in spite of Abram's unfaithfulness. What we see in this account is the verse that we began our service with this morning in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, that, that even when we're unfaithful, God is faithful. Even when, when, uh, uh, even when, when we, we act in unbelief that God will always be true and trustworthy to who He is and to what He has promised. And so I want us to see here in verses, uh, I'm in the wrong place, Uh, verses um, 17 through 20, I want us to see uh, the faithfulness of God being demonstrated in spite of Abram's faith faltering. First of all, we see God's faithfulness demonstrated in Abram's rescue. Verse 17 tells us that God uh, sent plagues on the house of Pharaoh, but uh, because of Sarai. And notice what God says about who Sarai is that she was Abram's wife. There's so much we could say in these verses here, but just want you to think about this this morning. Is that we can say whatever we want about our circumstances and our situations in life, and we can paint them however we want, but they don't change what God knows to be true. Does that make sense? We can say what, we can say, well, yes, yeah, she's my sister. God says, no, she's not your sister, she's your wife. God knows the truth of that circumstance, that situation. We can rationalize it, we can justify our actions, can't change God's God's opinion on the matter. We see God's faithfulness in Abram's rebuke. Uh, Pharaoh wants to know why Abram has done this, and so he calls them in in verses 18 and 19. And... He said, why did you give your wife to me as your sister? So here's this man who has been called by God, who, who's going to become the, uh, the, the paragon of faith in, in the New Testament, being rebuked by an unbelieving pagan. And what we need to remember this, in his faithfulness, in his faithfulness, God will discipline his people. Whatever we try to cover up, God will expose There may be a period of time that the result of our actions are going to be profitable. Abram became wealthy because of uh, Pharaoh's generosity to him. But what he had done, that deception that he had, had, had uh, acted on, did not please the Lord any more than what David did with Bathsheba pleased the Lord. And then what I want us to end this morning with is Abram's return. To Bethel we don't see it in chapter 12 but when we get to chapter 13 next week Lord willing we're going to see in verse 4 that Abram humiliated and or humbled rather and sanctified where did he go he went to Bethel the last place we saw him in last week right in Bethel what did he do in Bethel he built an altar he proclaimed the name of the Lord what does Abram do leaving Egypt he goes back to the altar and he calls on the name of the Lord in Bethel. God's severe mercy returned Abram to himself. The faithfulness of God. What is it that we must do? The faith principle this morning faith grows. In the soil of testing, turn with me over to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Um, start in Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two. I want us to just, um, I want to end this morning that in life our faith will be tested. Famines will come. I don't know when they'll come. I don't know what the nature will be of the famine. Uh, I don't know the 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 intensity of that famine or the duration of that famine. We just know this, that God, the way of God is he'll, he allows our faith to be tested so that it might grow. But even when our faith falters, as it did with Abram, God will remain faithful. And so, for you and I this morning as the people of God, we must look not to Abram, but we must look to the one who came from Abram. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews chapter two. I, I just some verses I just want us to end this morning thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ, our response of faith, responding in faith to Him. Uh, Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus Christ, likewise partook of the same things, that Jesus entered into this world um, as the God-man, fully God, fully human at the same time, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, that, that Christ came to destroy the power of the devil, verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ were the offspring of Abraham. Abraham therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Had to come in the flesh. Had to be tempted in the flesh. He died in the flesh so that he might become a merciful and also says, and faithful high priest. In the service of God. To do what? To make propitiation. To make atonement. To cover for the sins of the people. For he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. You see what the scriptures are saying? The scriptures are saying look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your answer. He is your help. In the in the in the struggles in the in the battles of this life, look to Him. Uh, another verse is Hebrews chapter four. I'm running out of time, but just write down Hebrews chapter four, verses fourteen to sixteen, and you guys can look that up later. Uh, I want to end with Hebrews chapter twelve. I want to look at verses verses uh, one through three of Hebrews chapter twelve. And, and here the writer of Hebrews says this, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these men and women who live by faith, who, who trusted in God, even when the circumstances of life are contrary to the way. Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of fame, uh, hall of faith chapter. Uh, since we're s- surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, these brothers and sisters who have gone before us in faith, let us also lay aside Every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And so the scripture here calls us to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christ can satisfy. Only Christ can strengthen. Only Christ can help us. And so when trials come as they must, do not... Do not turn to your own resources. Don't look to Egypt, but instead look to the Lord Jesus Christ and he will sustain your faith.